Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Today has been a busy day, which I overplanned, but never mind. Today is also about having an inspiring conversation about how to boost the team performance. And I have a few people on the panel, so give me a moment so that I can introduce them properly. Um, the first one is Sunil Dal, who is the co-founder of Candidate X, which is a social impact and data-driven organization focused on increasing access to opportunities for underestimated talent. Next person is Dr. Marsha Goddard, who is a neuroscientist on a mission to bring science into the workplace and break stereotypes. She specializes in workforce behavior. And then we have Bogdan Manta, who is a neuroscience for business expert. Um, by understanding how our brain works, Bogdan combines the practical insights with strategic thinking in a business context. And then we have also Lisa Dempsey, who is a leadership coach, whose passion is in amplifying people's strengths and helping organizations advance through the 21st century leadership paradigms. Okay, now this is a whole stretch of my mouth. I am, <laughs> I've done enough talking today, but... Let's let's start with the question, why do we need to humanize the workplace? What's your perspective on this, Sunil? Um, well, good day to everybody. Um, pleasure to be on here as well. Um, human element, it sounds a bit strange, but we are, I think we're, what we're seeing quite at the moment, especially here in the UK and what we're experiencing is a detachment of a sense of belonging mm -hmm. um, within the workplace. Um, there seems to be a disconnect with society as well. So what happens in society and what happens in the workplace? And there seems there doesn't seem to be any sort of correlation or link ups there at the moment. Um, and I think we're in danger as the generations come through um, that the attitudes are changing from employees in the workplace, uh, what their requirements and what they want as a, a place of work, really. And what is a place of work is another another topic as well. Um, traditionally, our place of work is somewhere we go. We were, used to work nine to five. For me, it was it was. It was, you know, I was brought up that way, uh, kind of grateful to have a job. Um, and you go, you don't, you don't rock the boat and you, you do your best you can. Um, I think as the generations are coming through now, they're realizing, going, well, hold on, we have a value. We need to be appreciated. Um, and we're all vying for the same sort of cause. And, and long as business matches my values. Um, and also your place of work, it becomes more your, your kind of your family as well. So it's very important that you're able to express yourself as an individual and be represented that way. And um, I think that's the human element we talk about. I mean, we're, we talk about data-driven business. Um, we're using data to try and understand more sentiment and understanding and able to kind of provide that back as a way of transparent sort of uh, move, progressive movement. Um, but that, for me, is, 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 is what humanising the workplace is. Thank you for sharing, Sunil. And Marsha, what's your perspective on that? I, well, I agree with everything that Sunil just said. Um, and also, when I hear that question, I also wonder, well, what else should we do with the workplace, right? If we don't humanize, what are we going to do? Are we going to digitize it? If we do, it's still there's still people there, and we still need like the human element in order for us to work with the technology instead of technology sort of ruling us, becoming a slave to the technology. So I think in that sense, it's really important. But I also agree with Sunil that the world is not a fantastic place to be in, mm -hmm. not all the time, not always. And now with, you know, war or the situation as lots of people are calling it, but there's just a war going on quite near us here in Europe. 
um, I think it's important to focus on our humanity, because if we don't, then we might lose ourselves, lose the humanity. And that's a big, big, big danger for everybody. So that's why I feel it's really essential to focus on the people in the organization. Thank you. I hear a lot of people, people, people. But then again, Lisa, what's missing? Because here we are advocating for the people element. But then again, what I see and what you also talk about is the the VUCA environment where it's not being humanized. So what's your take on humanizing the workplace? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And of course, VUCA is the acronym for volatility, mm -hmm. uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So yeah. it pretty much encompasses, it describes whatever sort of environment you're in, whether you're working in a large corporate, a small startup, an international organization, a nonprofit, VUCA is sort of our day-to-day. What becomes really important as our workplaces get more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous is we really have to come from a different place where we used to be able to engage in just transaction, straightforward input and output. There's so much more that is required, especially because of the pace at which we're required to work, the complexity within where we are required to work. And it requires us in order to connect with that, we have to connect with our own humanity. We have to connect with ourselves first. Otherwise, we just get washed away in all of the heaviness of everything going on around us. And we're in a constant state of stress, right? So I'm aware that mm -hmm. I'm sitting here with two very well-trained neuroscientists. I bring a lot of neuroscience into my coaching as well. <laughs> You know, when we're constantly activated, when our bodies are constantly on and we're pumping adrenaline, trying to solve and do and do and do, ooh, you can only do that for so long. And we can't sustain that in our workplaces in the way in which they are set up now in this sort of 24-7 world that we're in. So we have to slow down, connect with ourselves first, connect with the human inside of us before we can connect and actually get the things done that we want to with the human beings around us. Okay, I'm slowing down. I promised myself, I was talking to Sunil before, I promised myself that I need to block in some more restart time. But then again, if you're working in a company where slowing down isn't an option, how can we humanize the workplace? And I'm handing it over to Bogdan. Very good question, Vivian. And I pause there because you know very mm -hmm. well that the moment I start talking, slowing down is not an option always. <laughs> um, so let's get ready for that. Um, and yes, we are talking about certain industries because we don't have to humanize all the workplace. Let's be honest. If that would be the case, then we would all be running right and left. Fortunately, that is not the case. But yes, certain industries, the workplace starts to look a little bit pointy. And mm. you know that I'm very well known for uh, uh, showcasing what I'm talking about. So Vivian, mm -hmm. because you know that you love these things. In some <laughs> places, I told you I'm bringing a plant in case you missed Long history, there is I a love a and hate vegan. relationship that I have there with Bogdan regarding the plan. So but, just to share some more context, let's say that I did a video for Bogdan's Academy and the plan was moved not once, not twice, but a thousand times. So yes, my dear, I'm a show producer. Is, I've done traumatic show production, so <laughs> it has to be in the right corner. But anyway, just to uh, introduce you to the new plant, I think you're going to love this one much more than the other one. But this is how the workplace sometimes looks. It's extremely pointy. 
uh, and people are very snappy as a result, and we kind of throw mm -hmm. these things at each other. So yes, we do have in many in many uh, industries we do know, we do need to humanize the workplace. Um, the question there is, do we have the right buy-in, and do you have the right stakeholders who actually want to support that? Because what I see is that usually the ones who truly want to humanize the workplace are unfortunately. Uh, I think yeah, I Alonso is there. getting older and older and older and he doesn't want he doesn't want to stay. <laughs> well, we should bring him into uh, into the panel. No, um, no, no. So <laughs> it's uh it's it's very interesting again. I find this uh, very interesting. I, I think it's mm -hmm. a paradox that the ones who actually want to humanize the workplace are not necessarily the 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 decision makers and then the decision yeah. makers very often pretend that they want to humanize the workplace but we do know that uh, you know from a stakeholder perspective the interests are different and lately everyone talks about people people this people that people this people that empathy this empathy that cultural background this cultural background that well you know it's it's great talk for linkedin uh when you work in inside organizations especially in the organizations and those industries where the workplace actually does have a, a problem what we see is exactly that the great resignation right gen z leaving out four to six months millennials leaving out within 12 to 18 months even baby yeah. boomers are now retiring because you they put so money uh, so much money aside in the last two three years during the what we call disengagement pandemic so and even now Funny enough, because, you know, we speak with a lot of organizations, even now we see those decision makers who still don't think that there is a need for humanizing the workplace. How do we change that? We keep on having these conversations. We keep on creating awareness. We keep on talking about it. We keep on giving practical examples. And at one point, that pointy plant uh, will become less, less pointy, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. It brings me up to the following topic, Marsha, because Morgan really touched a point where there are some people some stakeholders, some decision makers stuck in their old way of doing. And I, I know by a saying by, uh, by Einstein who said, if you want to do the same thing, you cannot expect a different output. Is there any wishful thinking here that people expect to do the same because it has worked always the same? I don't know if it's wishful thinking. I think it's just people having difficulty breaking habits. Hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're at the top of an organization, it means you have at least 20 years of work experience, right? You've been yeah. around for, which means you probably grew up in a different era. So I think it's not necessarily that they're thinking, oh, I really want to continue doing it this way because it's the right way. No, it's because they've always done it this way. Yeah. I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's a learning process. Um, and they need guidance, which is why there are people who are guiding them through it, right? It's, it's only been really for them in, 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 the, in the span of their career, only a couple of years that things have really, really started exponentially moving faster and faster, especially the rate of change in organizations. Our brains hate change. So we cannot really blame them for growing up with a certain mindset, a certain way of working. And then all of a sudden the world is like, now nah, we're going to do things differently now. And then they're like, well, hold on a second. This is not what I've been taught. So I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's instead of trying to give them a kick in the butt to where we are or, you know, the younger people, whoever, whoever we're talking about here, mm -hmm. it would be good to just take their hand and walk the journey together. I think that would be more effective. Are they ready to hold our hands? Well, that's the thing. They have mm -hmm. to. <laughs> that's where they don't really have a choice it's yeah. sink or swim and and yeah. we're seeing that in practice now so whether they're ready or not it's scary it's change is scary for everybody so um they have to be ready and then it's 
I say our job. I don't really know who I'm talking about when I say our. I'm a consultant, so yeah, I meet. I do meet myself, and I think all of you work in with these it's types of things. It's definitely our job. That's why also I I selected every yeah. person on this because yeah. yeah, it's definitely our job. Yeah. So then I think it is our job to make sure that we focus. We have we do have more empathy than the other side. We spoke about this yeah. in the past, yeah. haven't we, Vivian? Yeah. That actually, when you're working with organizations in this way, you need to have maybe more empathy than the other side because you need to be able to put yourself in their shoes and figure out what is at the core of their what what are their barriers and find ways to overcome them, and then they will be ready. Okay, so I'm I'm sharing the mic with Lisa because Marsha is talking about the barriers and. Now we are dealing with managers, leaders that we need to hold their hand. What What is your take on this, Lisa? Well, I think, you know, Marsha mentioned something really important, and that's empathy. I, mm-hmm. I think empathy is needed all around. I work with a lot of people who are in the C-suite, and I can tell you that what I'm hearing, the stories mm-hmm. that people are sharing with me, are number one, they feel very lonely at the top. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Marsha mentioned habits. And yes, there are a lot of habits. There's, you know, many, many years of ways of thinking and working and doing that have been ingrained. I think there are also a lot of really broken narratives about leadership, what leadership is. A lot of people who believe that leadership is all about knowing everything, having all of the answers, being the strong person, you know, being the loudest voice at the table. None of that has anything to do with leadership. That That is command and control. That's something that worked in the first industrial revolution with mm-hmm. limited success, but it brought what it was needed. We're now in the fourth industrial revolution. And so there's a really different way of thinking and engaging and letting go a lot of stories, letting go of a lot of the things that we've been shown through media, through bad examples in workplaces, in homes, in families about what leadership is meant to be. We need to start rewriting those narratives and and empowering people to write their own stories. If people in the C-suite, they see these problems, they feel these problems, they, they want to change, they want to find the way but it's hard, right? It's yeah. hard. They, they have a lot of really broken ideas about what this is supposed to look like, and it doesn't change overnight. So I, I think it's about, you know, finding common ground, uniting and collaborating, realizing that, you know, w- there's enough competition out there in the world. We don't need to be competing with one another in any workplace, right? Let that collaboration and the cohesion come together and, and amazing things really can happen. Okay. You have given me some thoughts. I am, yeah, I'm processing what you shared. And the thing that I want to discuss with Bogdan is Lisa is talking about we need to unlearn, which isn't easy because we have created habits that have worked in the past. But now we need to change those habits and learn new things. What can we learn? What can leaders learn to boost the performance of their team to create an environment where people want to stay instead of leave the company? Well, first and foremost, it starts with awareness. And Mm. that is the awareness that there is a problem, a challenge, an issue. And it's already very difficult for a lot of people to acknowledge that because the higher we go on top, the more we suffer of a curse of expertise, of a curse of knowledge, of very specific... What do I have to win? 
What right? do I have to win when I acknowledge my challenge? What do I have to win when I acknowledge my barrier? Well, first and foremost, it might not always be uh, uh, possible that you acknowledge that barrier by yourself. Very often, mm -hmm. as I always say, uh, that type of awareness happens with a shock, a hit. Uh, someone needs to make them aware of something, right? As with a lot of life events, for us to become aware of something, uh, we have to have a certain type of hit. Very often, mm -hmm. I say that sometimes people need to be hit a little bit behind their necks with a chair um, because, <laughs> you know, that awareness has to happen. Because going back to what Marcia said, when you are for 20, 30 years in a role and you've been coming from a, 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 from a history where everyone is, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you're mm -hmm. used to that, um, it's very difficult for a lot of people uh, to listen to someone who says, you know what, maybe it's time to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Reinvent myself. So it's 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 very difficult. It's very difficult for every human being, right? Because again, we go into personality and behavior, and I'm not going to go into Jung right now. Uh, only I only do that when people want to uh, go into arguments with me, because some because some of them don't like Jung. Um, anyway, so first of all, it starts with awareness. But the fact that you have the awareness doesn't mean that automatically you are going through a process of change. Mm -hmm. um, actually, actually, it's quite the opposite. Because if you are to take one, if you are to take 100 people randomly, 100 people from the 100, five will never change. 20 will only mimic the process mm -hmm. of change, but they will also not change. So 25 percent, 25 people out of 100, you can even forget about. And then it goes into this part where we always say, make sure that you speak with the right people, the ones who do want to change, because the ones who do not, don't even bother. You know, we invest your energy into the ones who do want to change. Then we're left with 75 people. From those 75, 50 will change if others will force them or push them or motivate them. There needs to be a catalyst, a motivator, an instigator, whatever you want to call it. And then they will go through the process of change, awareness, self-awareness, change, and all that. And then we're left with 25. From those 20 are very much supporting the process and the concept of change and only five are the ones who are actively pushing it so five out of 100 c-level executives are actually those you know uh, 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 those who will push towards this process of change so what we need to do is like a mathematical equation find the five make sure that the five are talking to the 20 Together, the 25 are positively impacting, influencing, creating awareness and giving the right tools to the rest of the 50 so that 75 will push forward that change in habit, that behavioral change, whatever we want to be. Um, and this is just pure data. And I always say it's not hocus pocus, it's neuroscientific focus. Uh, we don't talk about these things unless we have the research and, you know, unfortunately we have the research. But very important. And I think for me, this is always something very interesting. And I think it's very human. But I see a lot of people who always try to convince the people who will never want to change. And I always tell them, but stop that's, that's where time. it goes wrong, right? You cannot yes, convince because... somebody to believe a religion. If you only have 100 minutes, spend mm -hmm. those 100 minutes with the people who are willing. Spend your 100 minutes mm -hmm. with the 75. Don't waste your 100 minutes with the 25 who will never change. But then we become, you know, we, we want, you know, even, even if we see 5% of goodness in people, we think that it's enough for those people to change. Unfortunately, reality is a little bit different. Um, and I, I find it very unfortunate. And I see it very, very, very often. Uh, we want so much to believe that someone can change that we will just put all our resources and energy, unfortunately, in the, right, in the wrong people. And we only have so much time. That's true. Find and the I'm, catalyst. I'm a, 
for change. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the switch uh, switch with you, Sunil, because you are focused more on finding the right talent or finding the ideal talent with the skill based talent for the company. But when somebody enters the workplace, what are the tips that you give them to become part of a team or to become part of the organization? Uh, well, we give tips before you be in, you, 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 you apply for that job. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we know the, the, how you apply for a job is changing now. No longer yeah. as you press a button, you submit a CV. You, 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 a lot more people now are doing a lot more research like you would do if you buy a car or another item. You want to understand more about that, if the company ethical, you know, all the values that it holds before you did it have the flexibility for mm. someone like me, yeah. you know, and my circumstance. Um, and I think Why do you that, say someone like you? What's special about you that you need that me, special kind of flexibility? Because I, I, I could have childcare requirements. Yeah. I could have mobility requirements. Mm -hmm. I might have faith requirements. And yeah. that's fundamentally part of who I am. That's, that's part of my life. It affects my family, society, and that's where it joins into the workplace. So those are things that are fundamentally important for me to allow me to be give 110% when I'm there. Mm -hmm. Um, so you make me feel comfortable, included, right? And everyone says it's difficult to measure inclusion in, in that way. But these are certain things that we are, we were, we're trying to enrich um, before you apply for a job. That, in turn, has a knock-on effect to the companies going, well, you need to be a lot more transparent and listen to what's being said internally mm -hmm. and externally, how you're being represented. The, you know, Bogdan was talking about, you know, uh, being open and, and as a leader and, 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 you know, acknowledging these things, but that's being human, right? That's just being a human being going, right. I, I have, I'm developing all the time. We always will be, we never be perfect, but taking that step and saying, right, okay, let's find out what our staff thinks about us, what we could be doing better. And I think that engagement um, and including everybody into that discussion produces a roadmap and that roadmap, because no one's, no one's saying fix it tomorrow, but you're acknowledging that you have got a roadmap to go together to achieve this, to make it a better place. And that includes everybody in, into that journey. And as long as, as long as everyone could see that something's been done and it's not just another fashion item that's going to be here for a week or two weeks, because we go on social media and put some banners on, but actually there are proof points of what we promised that we're going to deliver together. I think that's what people are looking for now, more so than the monetary and financial side of things. And, and that's what we're trying to enable and, and, and change the process of how we apply for jobs, how we recruit, um, and how we present ourselves as a business as well. Yeah, I love that. I also want to say hi to Michael. Michael has been a day one fan, and he remembers the plan. So <laughs> hi, Michael, and also Bonnie for uh, joining here. Thank you as well. And Lisa, I heard Sunil talking about leadership changing their ways but also being able to ask the right questions and also to engage the people what tip do you have for those who are leaders or what tip do you have for those who want to become a leader what's one thing that they can do to amplify the team energy listening mm, why do you say that And it's not just the act of hearing the words mm -hmm. and parroting them back. It's there's this complex act. And it's funny as I speak about it, like my body gets excited because mm -hmm. it's actually it's an embodied practice. Listening is an embodied practice when you can learn to listen, not only with your mind, but with your heart and with your gut. 
you can connect with yourself as a human being, and you can hear what's going on with the human beings around you in both what is being said and not said, in both the words and the tone. You can tune into the energy of what's happening. And from there, you can create so much more than mm. just trying to shove everything through this funnel and going, right, how are we going to get things done? And we need to do it better and faster and listening. Listening yeah. is the best way, but it has to be that embodied practice of listening. While you were talking, um, my mind was at an ad in the Netherlands. There is an ad being played about being more empathic when somebody calls the workplace and says that they have lost a loved one. I don't know if some of you might have heard it, but I'll, um, I'll play one example where um, an employee calls uh, their co-worker say that they are going to call in sick today because they just lost a friend. And instead of this person asking, are you okay? What can I do? They rush over it and say, well, then I'm going to call X, Y, Z and I'll see you someday. And leaving that person behind, not really giving the sense like you heard them, but also you showed some empathy towards them because they lost a loved one. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a neighbor, some people have a great relationship with their neighbor and losing a loved one, especially now, it's really sad. Some people haven't been uh, even gotten the chance to say goodbye to our loved one because of this whole pandemic. So uh, I really understand where you're coming from when it comes to active listening. And also listening doesn't always mean that you have to talk. Thank you. Bogdan, are you a great listener? How, what, 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 what is the neuroscience perspective on this? Sorry, what business, are we paying attention? It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes from Confucius, who said, we have been given two years and one mouth to use them accordingly. Mm. Now, the thing is that uh, if there are some topics that I uh, hear being repeated over and over is about empathy, but nobody knows how to be empathetic. It's about active listening, but nobody really tells people how to actually no. be active listening. Uh, we hear people talking about uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but not a lot of people, and everyone says we need to fix it when in case, and when actually we have to embrace it. Um, listening is very difficult for a lot of people because we are not told, we are not taught how to listen, mm -hmm. right? As children, we have to listen to our parents, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily pay attention. It means that we have to right? It's an automated process. We go at school where our attention span has nothing to do with the teachers talking because, you know, unfortunately, we know how the school system is. Not very interesting. Lecturers, extremely boring. Uh, my mom is coming from academia. Fortunately, she was not boring. Uh, but, you know, if I'm thinking of 100 of my teachers, only two were interesting. The rest were just super boring. And I'm sorry, but this is the reality. Yeah. Um, so as a result, throughout our upbringing, we don't, nobody is actually teaching us how to actively listen. Because listening actively means being interested and literally showing interest in the other person and repeating what the other person says for you to find a way to relate to them, to place yourself in their shoes, to sympathize with them, to empathize with them, to understand what they're going through and to ask more questions on what they say. That is what we call listening to understand. 
A lot so of basically what you're saying is that I'm not an active listener. Right. But so Leon, <laughs> that's one thing, right? First thing. Second thing is not every person is actually interested in yeah. listening to other people, in which case they need to find their own specific aptitude for establishing rapport, right? Is what mm -hmm. we need. We need to establish rapport. We need to develop oxytocin or the bonding neurotransmitter, love neurotransmitter, as we call it, something, and I'm going to always showcase my brain because I love to play with my brains. We need to hit the limbic system. We need to impact oxytocin. We need to play with neurotransmitters because that's how we simply connect as human beings. So how do you develop this oxytocin? Well, it's by showing interest, by uh, talking about things that we have in common, by asking the person how they feel, not when the person died or their loved ones, but a week after or a month mm -hmm. after, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. Because you go into a shock, right? We were talking about free slide fight mechanism. If you're asking me now how I feel when, my, when someone close died, I don't know because I'm in a state of shock. Ask yeah. me in a month from now when I have the capacity to go through a grieving process and then I will tell you how I feel and then you will help me. Actively listening is not good enough if we don't read the room, social intelligence and emotional intelligence to know when to ask people because if we ask too early, they will feel awkward and they will not talk. Are they introverted? Are they extroverted? It's such an extensive thing that yes, sometimes it comes with the manual. Uh, but that's very much exactly that, being genuinely interested in the other person and showing interest in whatever ways. Because someone will ask questions, someone will try to invite you for a drink, someone will cook dinner for you, someone will buy you a present. But showing that interest and trying to make that connection is another way of, of, of showing that we, that we listen. Um, we're different people, we all have different, uh, uh, um, um, different approaches, right? Also, to, to wrap up, not everyone has the patience to listen to some people because, let's be honest, not everyone says interesting things. So how do you make sure that you find interesting things to establish rapport with that person and to create that what we call honest connection? Because a lot of people, unfortunately, they pretend you know, to establish rapport. I was seeing someone very uh, earlier on, on LinkedIn who said, every single time I, I, I speak with a client online, the first 30 seconds, I always ask them about how they feel. But I'm like, but you don't actually care about how they feel. You just have a script where you every time ask for 30 seconds how people feel. And they say, okay, okay, let's go to the next thing. So you're still not listening. What you're doing, you're manipulating your script into establishing rapport with a human being. So it goes back to me. It always comes back, if we're talking about humanizing the workplace, being genuine and authentic in the interest you have with another person. And if you don't have that interest, maybe don't try to fake it. Okay, then we leave it on that note. Maybe don't try to fake it, but Masha, as a leader, I'm dealing with a gazillion things. And on top of that, I also need to keep my business in the green because otherwise I'd be asked, how can I boost the team performance where there is already a lot of pressure and I have to become an inclusive leader and I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this and also make time for Formula One if you're a fan, I'm not. That's a whole nother debate. That's I know it's a, it's a delicate topic, but I, I had to mention it there. What do you do? <laughs> Maybe people need to do a little bit of context because now the Formula One is like, what is she talking about? Let's so, say I have yeah. a love and hate relationship with Formula One and yeah. my partner is a fan. And ever since Marsha came into my life, which is a few months ago, all of a sudden, I 
I'm talking a lot more about Formula One. Even in my private time, I'm still talking about Formula One. I'm, I'm now talking about Formula It annoys me. But Masha yeah, has a, a delicate way of bringing, making Formula One a little bit sexy. But still, I am trying to push away from that top. We'll get you there. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I did forget your question. So <laughs> I got totally distracted by the Formula One <laughs> remark. Oh yeah, leaders, right? Leaders yeah. being busy. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, those things are not mutually exclusive. If you if you have to keep your business in the green, you need to do all of that because that's the way to boost team performance, right? So the reason we talk a lot about Formula One is because I study Formula One. So I study the behavioral dynamics of Formula One team teams because they're high performance cultures, and uh, I study what makes them successful in what they do. Um, and then when you look at leaders. What they do is they give a lot of autonomy to people. So there's a hierarchy in the in in the team. Autonomy. What is that? Because there are some there might be some people out there that don't yeah, know what autonomy that. is because there are some control freaks out there that want to <laughs> overmanage everything. So give give uh, give an example. Yeah. So is. it's choosing autonomy over hierarchy. And what I mean by that is there can be management layers. If especially if you work in a large organization, there will be management layers. You cannot yeah. do a holacracy with twenty thousand people. It's not going to work. So there can be management layers, but when you hire someone to do a job autonomy means you let them do the job so you don't go in and do it for them because you feel with and usually i have to say this with the best of intentions this happens with the best of intentions but leaders can be too involved with the actual work that they hire somebody else to do so choosing autonomy over hierarchy will boost performance and it will take something off your plate because that means that you don't have to do it anymore it's the same with choosing trust over control Trust mm. people to do what they have to do. And this, I mean, COVID was an excellent example of that. I was yeah. working with organizations throughout COVID when the first lockdown started. And there were managers who said, I do not want people to work from home because then I cannot see if they're, see what they if they're doing. Yeah, I don't know if they're working. So they did things like turn on the webcams and track mouse clicks. And I don't know what they were doing. I mean, you can do a whole lot of stuff with your webcam on that is not working. So it's not even effective. So if you choose trust over control, again, you're going to create, you're going to boost performance and you're going to create room for yourself. Um, if you, if you um, are able to stimulate psychological safety within your team, that's yeah. also going to take something off your plate because people will be more intrinsically motivated to do their role, their jobs. They will be more open about what's going on, which means you can actually troubleshoot the actual troubles instead of things that don't matter. And for that, you know, that psychological safety is very much related to what Lisa and Bogdan were talking about when it comes to listening and when it comes to curiosity and, and letting go of judgment and things like that. So that's definitely a part of it. Um, and it's also about, you know, you have a whole lot of things that you need to get done. So when you make decisions, if you want to make it easy on yourself, make sure that your decisions are transparent, congruent and consistent. Those are three things that are incredibly important that will make your life easier and it will make the work better. And by that, by transparency, I mean that people understand why a decision has been made if it impacts them. As a leader, you cannot always share everything. That's not what this is about, but it's about helping people to understand why a decision is made. Congruency is about saying, some, saying something and doing the same thing instead of saying A and doing. The best example that I can give you is um, core values. A lot of organizations have core values and the leaders are supposed to be, you know, the, the what do you call that? The ones who are, are the pole bearers or the, no, not the pole bearers, what you call it? They're the best example of, of the core mm -hmm. values in practice, mm -hmm. right? They're supposed mm -hmm. to really live the core values. Uh, but then when you look at 
and let's take Enron. I don't know if people remember Enron. It was a company, well, they didn't do very well, did they? There was fraud, mismanagement, and all of that. Um, and they hit massive losses, and the company fell, and people went to jail. It was a whole thing. Well, their core values were integrity, communication, mm -hmm. respect, and excellence. So that's an example of not being very congruent in how you operate and what you say you're doing. Um, and the last one is consistency in your decisions. So make sure that people always know what to expect. That means that they can do their jobs without having to worry about, oh, I don't, what, what's his mood today going to be? So be consistent over time. Again, it will boost performance and it will make sure that people will do the jobs for you instead of you having to do it for everybody else. It's a whole lot. I'm still processing the Formula One part. I got this. <laughs> Every single thing that I just shared with you, Vivian, it came from speaking to people on Formula One teams. Stop it's, it. It's valuable. It's interesting. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, back to you, Sunil. Um, I'm thinking about the following about inclusive recruiting, because that's where your part and your company is, is focusing on. What is the biggest change that you foresee for this year? What's the biggest prediction that you foresee for this year that is really going to be a game changer for companies, especially when they are building their team? What do they need? Well, they need a lot of support. Um, they mm -hmm. also need to listen. I think it goes back to the leadership piece. And we spoke about a leader. Um, the leadership team and a leader needs that support structure and that means getting the right people um, around them to support so the recruitment happens at that stage they also need to be heavily involved not day-to-day -day, like I mean, we spoke about just now and everything and, and getting involved you know but if you're going to make a commitment you need to be part of that commitment and that what means kind of yeah. commitment are you talking so about the company you, commitment or the DEI yeah. commitment or... Well, i don't think there's a difference really it should be ingrained into the foundations of your business and how you're building it so uh, in a sense that if you want to make a commitment to change you want to make a commitment to understand what your employees are saying to make a better future and a better business you're part of that process you can't just make that commitment and say it and then step out and go I'm leaving it to everyone else to deliver. Rewind. Can you repeat that, please? Because there might be people in the back that did not hear that last sentence that you said about what not, you said. Not making a commitment and stepping out and let others deliver. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You need, you, you need to be part of that. You need to be seen. I've had lots of examples of dealing with companies where so passionate are mm. the leaders, but when they hand it off, it breaks down because not everyone shares that same value or that same vision. So the biggest change that we're going to see within recruitment is the data comes into it. Bogdan's mentioned it before, but be transparent on how you're hiring, who you're hiring. Um, don't, because we have a lot of hiring who you like, who you are, who you like, what you're used to. That's not going to change anything. So be transparent on who you're hiring, share the data, be, be, don't wait for a legislation to share the data, share it. And that, and you think you'll find, will attract a wider talent pool because they're going to so come what, out and go, I want to work for a company that's actually going to do something. So what you're saying is what I've seen, I think it was the Financial Times and also other different American companies that are being more transparent about what their ratio is, what the ratio has been for the last few years and what steps that they are going to take or what journey that they want to take so that they can make that commitment for 2025. Is that the kind of transparency that you're looking for? 
It's a start, but that's just about boardrooms and leadership teams. <laughs> well, what, I, what's I, happening there? It's a start, as in. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those where we've got X amount of execs in a leadership team, and this is how their gender is or their ethnicity is. Mm-hmm. This is their pay. I want to understand what the wider team. I want to understand mm-hmm. about uh, individuals within that team that are going to be the future leaders. I want to I want yeah. to work for a company that gives me that opportunity. Yeah. Um. So I want to see who they're hiring. I want to understand more of that that data. Um. And before we've only had data internally about how we're hiring internally. Now, obviously, we're trying to bridge that and give access to a lot more um, where we could actually trace and track and go. Actually, this is how this company's hiring. And you're putting you're putting us a pole in the ground and saying we're going to be one of the 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 the, the first companies or we're a few companies to be progressive in this we have nothing to hide what do they need Bogdan to become progressive inclusive leaders what are three ingredients how many uh, how many weeks do we have still no have three ingredients please three <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's interesting because if you ask this question uh Vivian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was part of a of a conference and I was getting ready to do my keynote uh, um, um, and I was waiting for the um, um, person who was talking to come off the stage. And then I heard something phenomenal, which was so interesting what the uh, what she was saying that I almost missed my uh, my introduction because I kept on thinking what she said. And what she said was um, she came with a very interesting uh, 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 research, which is being done every year with certain C-level executives. And every single year they ask them about their three top challenges. Mm-hmm. And the challenge that the top three challenges for 2021 were very interesting. Challenge number one was the fact, and we need to acknowledge this and we need to accept uh, as well. Challenge number one for C-level executives was that never in the history of, uh, um, um, of you know, of, of work, especially at that level, has it been more challenging, more dynamic, more changing, more, there's so much they have to deal with. They have to be this leader and lead that leader, and they have to be assertive, but then they have to be empathetic, but they have to be adaptable. They have to listen. They have to do, 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 do their social media. They have to have a brand, a personal brand, the <laughs> values. So it is understandable and that they are at that level yet they feel that the change is way faster than they can adapt. And we know very well that human adaptability, although is there, right now we're kind of losing uh, um, when it comes to technology and everything that's happening around. So that was their first their first and biggest worry, that it's so dynamic and it's so changing that they feel they can no longer follow up. And they feel disappointed because they want to be that leader and they want to lead uh, by example, but it becomes extremely difficult, right? Mm -hmm. That was the first thing. The second thing, funny enough, because we kept on talking about it, is that they acknowledge the fact that they should listen more, but they don't know how. Genuinely, they don't know how. C-level executives, why? Very simple, because people don't know how to talk to them. People are, oh, yeah, right? No matter how open that uh, organization is, top down, bottom up, doesn't matter. But because they're not getting input, they don't know how to ask and how to listen about whatever outputs. So that is the second one. Um, you know, change these things and, you know, you will change uh, 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 certain things in your culture. And uh, the third one was very much the fact that, and I think, Lisa, you said it, is very lonely up top. Yeah. And now they felt it more than ever before. Why? Because during the pandemic, they had to always ask people how they're doing, how they're feeling, yet nobody has ever asked them, how is your dog doing? How is your nephew feeling? I'm a human being. I also go to McDonald's, even if I uh, drive in my whatever expensive car, I still go to McDonald's with my children. My dog is still sick. 
I still take my kids to play football and my son is still bullied. And it doesn't matter that I'm a C-level executive. Nobody has asked these people in the last two, three years how they're feeling, how they're doing. Everyone is just complaining. And even if someone is 90% an amazing leader, people will focus on the 10% that she or he must improve. And they feel such a disconnection from who they are as people versus what is expected from them as leaders. But for a leader to be truly a leader, that person needs to be completely connected with themselves as a human being, authentic with emotions. How can you do that if nobody cares about your emotional state of feeling and being? They want you to be an empathetic robot, but that's it. So it's a very interesting paradox. And uh, um, um, of course, not everyone feels like that at that level, because let's be honest, some people who are there, they're the narcissists of the world. They're the sociopaths of the world. And they're there because it's a great role for a sociopath and for a narcissist. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the ones who do care. I'm talking about what we call empathetic leaders. I'm, we're talking about the ones who do believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's very difficult for them lately. And we need to support them more than just constantly put them against the wall. It brings and me we, back we need to, to become aware of that, and we need to do that more. It brings me back to what uh, when Bogdan was talking, I was thinking about different episodes of Undercover Boss, where the managers or the leaders get a different perspective, where they get a way to have a way to create that human connection. Lisa, do we need to activate Undercover Bosses more so that? We can engage with leaders, but also ask them how they are doing and, and see things from their perspective as well. I would love to change with a leader and see things from their side so that we can both share the different perspectives. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a number of organizations out there that have role share and trading mm. roles just exactly for this purpose. You know, I was speaking to somebody this week who mm. they work in IT, but you know, they're very high up in the chain, but they have to help out on the help desk, you know, at least once a week so that they know what it's like on the ground. Oh, so they're, they're, they're not going on the cover with the whole... No, they, they don't have to have the makeup <laughs> artist and the hair dye and, you know, trimming their hair. No, that, that's not required. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. I think beyond the swapping places. Yeah. Right. I think to get to the space where we really, truly understand each other as human beings. It requires also a shift in leadership and understanding that actually every single human being in an organization is a leader mm -hmm. because every single human being in an organization has an impact and every single person has choice, yeah. right? So you can choose to have impact from the place of reaction and unconscious and all of these things that lead to usually very bad impact and outcomes. Or you can choose to, as a human being in an organization, connect, have courage, and have curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that puts you in the place of choice of, okay, so this is my intention. This is what I aim to do. This is my actual impact. There's a gap here. What am I going to do about it? Every single human being has that capacity in every organization today. Leadership is not about who's at the C-suite. 
It is not about who has what job title or where you sit in a hierarchy. It is about accepting that you as a human have an impact wherever you go. Yeah. And yeah, when you can connect with that, amazing things. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. I was I, I was already thinking about how I'm going to bridge, uh, build a bridge towards Marsha where... Um, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of people in the US, but also here in the Netherlands, a lot of people are voting with their feet. Like uh, people are going on strike in Schiphol of all places. Now in the UK, they are also striking because they are being treated poorly. Are we going to see this behavior more and more, Marcia? What's your prediction on this? With people going on strike? Yeah. I hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't mean that the wrong way, but it's yeah. a lot of things start with people just saying activism, right? Yeah. Black Lives yeah. Matter started as yeah. with act, and they put DNI on the map worldwide. So, yeah. you know what happened at Schiphol Airport? I'm worried because I'm flying on the first day of summer vacation. So yeah, I'm, I'm screwed. Brussels is also better. <laughs> yeah, I know. I probably I'll probably end up in my my flight is leaving Schiphol, but I'll probably end up in Brussels anyway. So yeah, as a, as an individual, definitely it would it would yeah. be inconvenient for me. But I think we need to start having these conversations because mm -hmm. there was this undercover journalist who, who worked at Schiphol yeah. Airport for mm -hmm. as as one of those luggage carriers. It's awful. Yeah. The, yeah. When you talk about humanizing the workplace, those are inhumane working conditions. So you know this needs to come to the surface more. We need to start realizing that we cannot treat people that way. Something has to change. And saying, "Well, there's no money." That's just not true. Yeah. That's just, it's not, when people are talking about, oh, we need to cut costs because we're not, because we're, I mean, it means your profit is less high. It's not, you're not losing money. There's less profit. That's a big difference to me. Unless so, bonuses. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I don't mean to, pay, I don't want to put it on one person mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's like a whole, it's a societal thing, right? When we, when we make less profit, we feel like we're losing. So we need to cut costs, which does not make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, to answer your question, I think it might happen. And I think maybe it should. Yeah. So there you go. Masha said that everybody can go on a strike now. And <laughs> for the people to give more context about what happening at an international airport that we have in the Netherlands. Well, the people, the, the, the baggage packers, uh, the luggage packers, they went on strike because they had enough. They were not being treated as human. They were being... Um, let's say that they were being treated inhumane and there was indeed an undercover journalist uh, working for a month for this company and realized that his back was hurting. He really had back problems and also saw so many things that were going wrong within this company that it exposed themselves. And the, the story came out the same period as the strike was going on. So it, it gave us an insight of how things are going on. And to me, I felt a little bit guilty as a, as a, when I'm going on my holidays. I luckily did not go to Schiphol because Schiphol is asking a lot of money. So I went to Brussels to save money, but also to spend some time in Belgium as well. And to realize that there are apparently other airports that are treating people better. So on that note, Sunil... Pro strike or uh, not pro strike, or what other measures do you feel like is needed to boost the team performance and to create that inclusivity that we are all longing for? I think it's you gotta appreciate to go on strike. It's it's kind of your last resort, so you're kind mm -hmm. of you've been pushed into a corner. 
which is a, which is this is a <laughs> I mean, that tells you something about the leadership and tells you about the culture of the workplace. It's happening so in the UK as well, right? Oh, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Every, look, before, I said, I, when, I, when I first started speaking on this, I said about generations changing. Yeah. We used to be appreciate, appreciate that we just were given an opportunity and had yeah. a job. Now we're, now we're understanding and valuing what we could actually provide and what we could contribute. So we want to be treated fairly. And now with social media, now with all this access uh, you get, it's, it's open and companies need to be aware of that or, or how this is going to now escalate and get out. Um, and this is not great for a brand. And you talk about profits that has a yeah. knock on your profits because people start using your brand. They associate it with negativity. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's a, there's a bigger picture here of how they, how this needs to be kind of measured and, and understanding of what the employees have had to go through to put themselves and their jobs on the line by going on strike. So um needs a lot more sort of active inclusion within the work groups within the business really there needs to be a lot more outreach with communities as well and i think that affects a lot you're talking about the, the areas the regions i think you know the employees well, a lot of them might come from those regions i don't see enough especially here in the uk enough community engagement with workplaces especially those that have a lot of employees from those sort of areas to under fully understand what's going on the stresses on, on 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 life, you know what you're being required outside, what you're committing to your work. I think there needs to be a lot more of that. Uh, I think that will help kind of ha- harmonise and bring everyone a bit more closer together, rather than causing divisions. I agree, and I love that as a closing note. I only have one question for each, and I want to cut it short. But if there were three ingredients that you are going to take away from this conversation, and that you would install for 2025 for boosting the team performance and use, uh, humanizing the workplace, what three ingredients would you use? Bogdan, I'll start with you. Have more conversations. Hmm. Okay, passing the mic on to Lisa. So I'll add a word to that, courageous conversations. Hmm. Talk yes. about the hard things, not just conversations. Talk of put the shit on the table. <laughs> put the shit talk, on the table. Yes. Talk about okay. it. Well well Marcia, well okay. Conversations, courageous conversation, then putting the shit on the table. What's what will you add on to this mixture? <laughs> well, once the shit is on the table, listen yeah. to how people feel about that shit. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sunil. What ingredient will you add? <laughs> so once the shit's on the table and you're going to action that, be transparent about what you're doing. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you all for being here. It was an amazing... What a great conclusion. I'm going to write that down. Put <laughs> the shit on the table. It was an amazing conversation. And, no, and no, but, that's a, but that's the whole thing, right? The thing is, is we need to have... right. If C-level... And I'm focusing on C-level, right? Because I'm leaking yeah. to, the, to the past example. If yeah. people want to be spoken to like human beings, then you have to go to them and say, put shit on the table and oh. have transparent conversation about that shit. <laughs> Right? Walk the talk. Do you want me to talk like this? Then I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. And they're going to appreciate it. And the ones who will not, then, you know, don't complain that there's that nobody treats you like a human being. Put shit on the right. table. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I love it. 
I'm gonna use this uh, this part as a snippet to uh, highlight this conversation. So, I am. I I really enjoy this conversation. For me, it's sometimes very challenging as a moderator facilitator to to break in or to build the bridges. But I've learned so much. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And for those who are watching, sometimes it it's it's like listening to or watching to this conversation sometimes you need to let it marinate so watch this episode back and let it marinate of what you are learning because there so much has been shared take at least one ingredient out of it and implement that in the workplace implement that within your team and boost your team because i'll know i know that it will definitely help to create that team performance that you are seeking for so until the next time for Let's Humanize the Workplace. Goodbye, everybody, and enjoy your evening or your day. Bye. Thanks, Thank you, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. And uh, speak very soon. Thank you, Vivian.